And it's been an interesting journey. It's not been an easy journey. It's not been a comfortable journey um, because God has taken me places that I wouldn't necessarily want to go and made me tread in areas that I wouldn't feel comfortable treading in either. Um, and as you know, I, I tend to move a lot in the prophetic and God has given me various visions and dreams for our nation. And I remember one key one happened in 2018 in November. I remember just getting up to give a nice woolly cozy sermon as pastors do. And, uh, and then suddenly this word just dropped into my, to my head and I knew God wanted to speak. And the word was, there were several things. It was uh, Theresa May would be stepped down. Um, Brexit would happen and then after that it started talking about what was coming after that period and obviously the time of shaking that's coming financial systems uh, shaking etc but also what God wants to say for the church and then and then I started saying stuff that I had no understanding of what I was talking about and one of the things that I started saying was that God wanted to uh, place around our nation houses of prayer and reinstate monastic communities and I was like what is that? Um, and so, you know, gave that word and didn't really think much of it at the time. And then since I gave that word, God had just been doing this whole thing inside me about, well, what is this, what is this movement of prayer that God wants to bring back to the UK? What, what is this monastic communities? What, what is that all about? And so it took me on this rather interesting journey for the last five years. And God has just been doing this real work inside of me uh, and, and quite a frightening work, if I'm honest with you, because um, there's, there's things that I've had to look at, things that I've had to read, looking into church history, various things that I'd, I've never looked at before and found, you know, some really interesting things. But one of the things that I want to point out here is that it says here, make every effort to keep among you the unity of the spirit and let there be one body and one spirit. In John 17, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed, Lord, I pray that my church will be one even as we are one, okay? The church was one, as in one church, for a thousand years. Then we had what was known as called the Great Schism, and that's what then gave birth to the Eastern Orthodox Church as they split off from the Catholic Church. You had the Catholics and then the Eastern Orthodox. And then 500 years later, then we have the Reformation, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. If, you're, if you've been at school, they'll teach you about the Reformation and stuff. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm not particularly a great fan of the Reformation. I think it caused a lot of damage in ways that we probably don't realise. To give you an example, do you know how many people died during the Reformation? I gave a number this morning, but it was wrong. I was thinking it was another number. But I gave a number. So anyone have any guesses as to how many people died during the Reformation? This is in Europe, right? 8.5 million. In fact, it was so bad that some parts of Europe were so decimated that half of the population had been culled. This is Christians. One saying, I'm a Catholic, and the other saying, I'm a Protestant, killing each other. All right? And I imagine once they killed each other and they'd gone up to glory and gone to heaven, and they stood before God thinking that they're the only ones that should be there and find out all these other people there, I wonder just wonder what they thought. What was that all about? And, and I think this is one of the greatest travesties in modern day Christendom is that 500 years after the Reformation has long gone and been, that somehow we have sat in our individual camps and we're very schismed. We're very much, well, this is me and that's you. It's OK if that's what you want to believe, but don't come into my house. You know, just don't stay away. But I, I really don't believe that that's what God's heart is. And I believe that in these days that we're coming into, God actually wants to see his body becoming one again. 
not fragmented, not splintered. Because you see, the fruit of the Reformation is 150,000 different denominations. So, you know, one divorce, then another divorce, then another, then another, then another, then another. And, and as we did these divorces throughout his church history, we basically kicked off everything it had to do with that previous movement. So, you know, you have the Methodists, for example, and they came out of the Church of England, and it's like, well, we don't want anything more to do with the Church of England, we're going to become our own thing. But in the process, they become, if you like, the, the volume of experience, the volume of history narrowed. And so every time there's a, a movement, it narrows and it narrows and it narrows until we get to modern-day evangelical Christianity, which we have, and we have this very thin veneer left of what we've lost because every time there's been a, a movement in the church we've kicked the baby out with the bathwater and jettisoned off everything you know not just not just dealing with the stuff that we may not have agreed with but we've jettisoned everything and i think much to our own cost there's a lot of mistakes that the modern day church is making now the early church councils and creeds declared as heresy but because we don't know our church history we and i say we um not here necessarily but there are lots of christians that are making the same mistakes that were outlawed as heresy a long time ago not even realizing that what they're doing is wrong because we've jettisoned off lots of things of our past and so as i went through this kind of this journey that god has been leading me on um ultimately what i'm trying to talk today is about prayer and, and it all goes right back, and I've mentioned this story before, but when I was, eight, when I was 18, 19, I'd just become a Christian, and I got a job of all places at a convent, okay, at a local place in Park Place in Wickham, where there was loads of nuns. There's, there's not many of them left now, but there was loads of nuns there. And so I got, to, I got to be with those nuns a lot of the time. Now, how many here have actually been with a nun for about eight hours a day? Okay, yeah, some of you actually, because you were brought up in a, in a, a nunnery. But generally, most, pe most people, man, you haven't even seen none, right? Sorry about the pun there. No one's ever seen a nun, right? You're just like, I've never seen a nun, you know, I can't see them. Uh, you'll never very rarely spend more than 10 minutes with them, even if you do see them. Um, but I got to spend like every day with them. And they taught me about prayer and a much deeper way of prayer that I'd never yet really experienced in, should I say, the, the current sort of backstream of Christianity that I was coming from. And they taught me a lot of things and those things never left me. Um, and then over the years, you know, I just got involved in my own kind of stream of Christianity and those things kind of fell by the wayside. But then when I gave that prophetic word in 2018, God started churning up those things that I'd long forgotten and long lost. And we went to, uh, it was about three years ago, we went to the Isle of Wight for a holiday. And there we went to this abbey called Quar Abbey. And it was there I went into their bookshop. And when we went to their bookshop, it was like an alternate reality of Christendom. It was like, well, look at all these books written by people I'd never seen or heard of before. And, and talking about things like prayer and holiness and piety and, 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 uh, and developing a depth of, of walking God. And I was like, I've never seen things like this. But these were books written by people like nearly over a thousand years ago. I'm like, I didn't know church history was that old? I thought church history began at the Reformation and everything else was, was, was just nothing to be, just, to be, to be credited with anything. But it, it, I just learned really to my shame, actually, there's a lot of things in our church history which are really good. 
Okay, some really wonderful stuff. And so I started learning from this treasury throughout history. It's, it's my own treasury. It's from my own religion. It's like, I want to learn from this. I want to read into this. And I started learning right back to the early church and what they believed and various things like this. And then this whole thing about the Desert Fathers that happened around about AD 450. You, after the, um, Constantine became emperor and he legalized Christianity and Christianity became, became the state religion, then basically what happened is, is the, there was no more martyrdom. So you didn't, get, you, know, you didn't get your head chopped off or anything anymore. And so it was like, you know, well, how can you be, how can you be radical for Jesus if you can't get your head chopped off or burnt at the stake or, or eaten alive by a lion? I mean, what can we do now? And so it gave way to the Desert Fathers. And I say fathers, there were plenty of women that did it as well. And these were people that were just so longing for a deeper walk with God. They wanted to connect with God in a way that went beyond the superficial and beyond the thin veneer of their own Christian experience. And so they went out into the desert and they had these communities of Christians that just wanted to grow in their relationship with God, grow in the knowledge of God. And then these people, from the things that they learned in prayer, wrote them down. And then these things become a part of our own culture. And then in time, you have then from that the rise of monasticism, which is where early monasteries, monks and nuns and stuff came from. And on it went. And that's been going for, well, pretty much one and a half thousand years, which is quite amazing, really. And now some people will look at people like monks and nuns and go, they're crazy. They are crazy. Who would want to go and lock themselves away and be celibate? for the rest of their life. I mean, come on, some of you are thinking, I couldn't think of anything worse, you know? Um, just being locked myself away, and uh, you know, it's the, it's the vows, isn't it? It's uh, no money, no honey, and do as you're told. Okay, so the vow of poverty, the vow of chastity, and uh, the vow of obedience. So that's the life that they live. Yet, and so as I started looking into these people and started researching and things, I, I started finding rhythms of prayer. Um, that I started putting into my own life. And so again, for the last four years, I've been living out uh, this, this kind of Christian experience, which to be fair, I've not really spoken to people about. And so I uh, was speaking to Tracy a while back saying, how can I, how can I take this, this thing that God has shown me and open it up so that just any Christian can experience this depth of Christianity, which you will not find, I have to say, in our stream. Our stream's got good stuff. We got speaking in tongues. We got the power. We got prophecy. We got healings. But guess what? So have they. We don't have, we have great worship. You know, we can, we can do some amazing things in worship. We can really go out there in the things of God. Like, oh, hallelujah, Jesus. You know, start waving our hands and have really wonderful experiences of God in that place. But what we're not good is coming into that still, quiet place with God and actually knowing God. Be still, as the scriptures say, and know that I am God. John 17, 3, one of my favorite verses says, eternal life is not living forever. Eternal life is knowing God. Hallelujah. And eternal life doesn't start when you die and go to glory. Eternal life starts now, praise God. And so my, my, my mission now, so to speak, is to grow to know God more and more and more and more and more. And my desire is to spend more and more and more time with him. Now, 
depending on your mindset and where you've come and your experience of prayer, you might think, man, I can't think of anything more boring than being sat in a room for hours praying to Jesus. There's other, we need to get out and about. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to do evangelism. Yes, you do. But let's be honest. Most of us here have been doing that game. Okay, You've been doing that now for a long time. So now you've been doing that for a long time. Maybe it's now also time to do the whole sit down with Jesus and, and, and sow into that as well. Amen? Because I hear that a lot. Oh, you know, it's, all, it's not about prayer, it's about action. Okay, how long have you been a Christian? Oh, 20 years. How long have you been doing the action stuff? 20 years. How long have you been doing this deep intimacy stuff with Christ? Not very much. Okay, so now it's time to start turning things around. I believe God has got an experience. He's, he's, there's things in God that, that most Christians do not even know exists that God is giving to us and wants to give himself to us if only we would avail ourselves of the time. You know what? I can't come to uh, a place of depth of relationship with my wife unless I spend time with her. I don't wake up in the morning, do, I hope I don't, do a 15 minutes every day with Jesus and that's it for the rest of the day. Okay, if I got up to, in the morning and said, hi Tracy, I uh, just have a little chat with you for 15 minutes and then she didn't see me until bedtime, what kind of marriage am I going to have? Yet it's what we do with Jesus. Jesus, I'm too busy today. I've got this to do. I've got, or the worst thing you can do is do what when you do my kind of job, where you're doing so-called full time for Jesus. Okay, which is a lie. But anyway, you can make yourself so busy for Jesus, and it's like I haven't got time to pray for you, Jesus, today because I'm too busy doing your work. It's like, are you an idiot? That the greatest work you could do is be, is by spending time in my presence. So turn with me to uh, Ephesians two. And uh, verses 19 to 20. Now, this morning I preached on 1 Peter 2, 9, I'm going to. This is like a series that I, I'm not doing it very well, but I'm trying to explain some things that God has been saying within me and, and to try to take us on a journey. Because, let, let me ask you a question, okay? And be honest, okay? Put your hands up if, if you honestly think this is true. Okay, how many of you are discontent with your walk with God and feel there's so much more and further to go. Okay? Now, why do you think you think that? Because the spirit within you is crying out for a depth of intimacy with God. The spirit within us is crying out that there's more. There's more than just speaking in tongues and, and, uh, and having a singer song. There's more to all of these things. There's, God is calling us to the place where he says, be still and know that I am God. Hallelujah. You see, I was preaching this morning about how we are a royal priesthood. We're a priesthood. You see, I stand before you today as a pastor, but is that my primary function in the body of Christ? No, my primary function, even before I'm a father, before I'm a husband, is that I am a priest unto God. Not a priest to man, a priest to God. So my primary function is to minister to God. I said a lot about this in, in this morning's sermon, which will be up online later on if you want to hear that. Um, but it's, it's the call to come back to the place of prayer again. And the thing is, when, when people become Christians... We say, right, what you need to do, you need to do three things, A, B, C. You need to basically get yourself a Bible, read your Bible, okay, uh, go to church and pray. That's, that's it, isn't it? That's, that's, the, that's the A, B, C. There you are. Get off, get on, do that. 
But I meet so many Christians today that don't have a clue about prayer. In fact, they feel intimidated by the whole concept of prayer. And the idea of praying for hours on end seems like the most greatest drudgery, boring uh, thing that you could ever do. Yet for me, I can't wait to get down into the prayer room. I can't wait to spend time with Jesus because there he teaches me things. He reveals things to me. I sense his presence. His presence is there. I don't have these barren times where, where's Jesus? I can't feel him. He's just not there. I don't get that. I don't get it. Jesus is always there. Because I've taken the time to cultivate a relationship with him, that I'm sensitive to his presence. I'm not sensitive to everything else but. Now, you are no longer strangers or guests, but fellow citizens of the saints. This is talking to us. We're now members of the citizens of the holy people, the saints. Uh, You are of the household of God and you are the house whose foundations are the apostles and the prophets and whose cornerstone is Jesus Christ. So it's basically saying on their teachings, the church is built in him. The whole structure in him being Christ, the whole structure is joined together and rises to be a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built to become the spiritual sanctuary of God. This is a corporate thing and an individual thing. You see, corporately, we are all living stones that all get formed and put together to make this wonderful temple. But God doesn't want a uh, Baptist temple and uh, an Episcopalian temple and an Anglican temple and a Catholic temple and an Orthodox temple. There is only one temple. Hallelujah. There is only one body. There is only one baptism. There is only one spirit. There is only one God. Glory be to Christ. There's only one Jesus that died on the cross to save us from our sins. Hallelujah. There is nobody else. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Hallelujah. It is in Christ alone. It is in Christ alone. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross. Hallelujah. You know, the reason why I put this altar back here is because we're, we're losing sight of things. We're losing sight. You know, most ch- churches now, it's all about the, 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 the worship pastor and the pastor. And that's like the focal point of the church. The focal point shouldn't be on them, as pretty as my son might be. And, the fo- and, and his wife, she's even prettier. Okay, But the focal point should be on this. The focal point should be on Jesus and his sacrifice for us. The focal point should be on Christ and Christ alone and what he's done for us on the cross. You know, all these other stuff are useful and helpful, but that is what it's about. That is what Christianity is about. God has called us to be one household, one body, and we are the house whose foundations are the apostles, prophets, and whose cornerstone is Christ Jesus. God wants his people to become a praying people again. I was saying this in an earlier sermon today, that you know, during the time of the Reformation, one of the things that was done, which I think is a great travesty, was all of the, uh, the monastic places around our country were all dissolved. Uh, not like sugar in water, but they were all like, you know, dissolved as in, dis- dis- what's the word? Thank you, dissolution. So they were all basically shut down and all those people were pensioned off, etc. And then we'd lost the houses of prayer over our nation. 
And then suddenly the, the church, which had the monastic communities, which was the powerhouse to the whole economy around it, and everyone in the economy, we, we prayed together, we worshipped together, the, we followed the liturgical calendar together, which synced into our own natural world and the cycles, etc. Um, and once, once that was taken away, then the priests that served the churches, etc., were taken away as well. So all we got left with is this box, which I call the Sunday box, which then became church. But church actually should be a harmony between houses of prayer and the building that we call church as well. Because you can't have one without the other. And so now in today's Christianity, you have these missional churches, which is all very well and good. We've got to get out there and tell people about Jesus. And yes, we do. But she doesn't have any power because the saints don't pray anymore. And the reason why they don't pray is because they're intimidated by prayer and frightened by prayer and don't know how to pray. Hallelujah. But I learned how to pray through walking into a completely different tra church tradition and looking at how they've done it for thousands of years. And I've had such an enrichment in my own prayer life that it's revolutionized who I am as a Christian. It just changed me. I am closer to God now. I'm more hungry for Jesus, more passionate for him. I hear him more clearly. I sense him more nearly now than I've ever done in my whole entire life as a charismatic Christian. That's not to say what we have as charismatic Christians is, is less than. I'm just saying in addition to these things have really blessed me. And so I was saying, Tracy, how can I get this vision that I have into into the now, into, the, into this you know, time and space, so to speak. Because as you know, we've got a, we have the prayer farm, which is a, an area of land where we, we, do, we grow vegetables and stuff. But the ultimate vision for that place as well is to have a building on it where it will also, as well as being a church, it will be a center of prayer. And so that people will come from wherever they want to come and learn the model and actually learn to do things like praying the hours by you pray at certain times of the day with the rest of the church around the world. And that we then as a community work the land. Now, so far, we've got the farm. We've got the, um, the allotment project going on, which has got its own little community. And then I, on a Thursdays, I run a thing called prayer school. Now, on prayer school, I teach people about these monastic disciplines from the other traditions to us modern day Christians and uh, say how they got on with it. Now, I must admit, I, I was really shocked by the results that I got. So I've been doing this now for a few years. And to me, it's revolutionized my Christian war. I just do it by myself. It's no big, no big deal. It's just, just me and Jesus. I love it. It's great. But I'd never done it in a communal context before. And when these, we, for the start with, we got like 40 people turning up. Now it's kind of like around 20 every week now, which is good. So we have this like community of people and they're from all over the place. They're not just from here, they're from different churches as well. And every one of them have said, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I've never experienced the presence of God or experienced things in God that I have during this prayer school. And that shows the, the travesty of what we don't have because we're so um, biased against that lot and we don't want to play with them and they've got nothing to teach us. In our own ignorance, that we can't see that they have got some wonderful things that we can have, just probably a little bit the other way as well. And so, so one of the things that really shocked me was everybody saying, I love the fact that we do this in a community. You know, as when I was brought up as a Christian in my church, it's like, when you go home, have your quiet time with Jesus. Yes, you know, read your everyday with Jesus, read your Bible and pray. Okay, but it's all me, myself, I and Jesus. 
So I'd never done prayer in this kind of communal context before, especially very intentionally. So we would be all sat in a ring and uh, I'd give them some passages to meditate on or whatever or to contemplate on and different things. And the things that people would say that God had shown them, you know, has been wonderful. I mean, anyone here go to it? Put your hands up. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, have you, you enjoyed it? Yeah. So everyone said, you know, just how, how much it is, how much it's really helped them in their, in their walk with God. But the thing that really shocked me the most was one particular woman said to me, she said, you know what? I've been a Christian nearly all my life and I've never really got church, never really quite got the concept of it, never really made sense to me. And she said, being here with other Christians, praying together, meditating together, doing life together because we eat together and stuff as well, has been more rewarding and has been more meaningful to me than all my rest of my life that I've been in, in so-called church. Because the context of church has now shifted from the Sunday box into this whole dynamic things where we're moving in prayer together and that we are growing in the knowledge of God together and we're, we're living, sorry, she's going upstairs to do the food, she's not offended. <laughs> or maybe she is, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I will, pillow talk time, here we go. And, and, and I just, it, just, it just amazed me, seeing this with my own eyes, how powerful it was in community. And I, and I think this is one of the things that's missing from today's Christianity, is this whole concept of community. It's this whole, oh, you know, oh, we just come to church on a Sunday, we have a midweek meeting and stuff. But it's still superficial. God wants to bring life back to his people. God wants to bring life back to the church again, where people actually queue to come to church. You remember those days? I do. I remember like times of queue. And you're like, when, when did you remember that? What church did you go to? But I've seen God move in wonderful ways throughout church history, when I was alive, that is. And I, and, and I just couldn't wait to be there. And I was queued up to be at those churches, to be there early. Because Christians... We, we've lost our joy a little bit. We've lost our excitement and we've lost our way a little bit because actually we need to come back to the heart of it. Now, up here on our screen, sometimes you get our Living Word logo and it says something like uh, Jesus, family, word and something else. And, uh, and I was shocked as I looked at it this morning and realised it didn't even have the word prayer mentioned there. I was like, that is the endemic that we have in Christendom right now is prayer is not, and corporate prayer is not considered as important. It's not considered as fun. It's not considered as like a joy. Because prayer is like, oh, it's so boring. But prayer shouldn't be boring. And if you say prayer is boring, then you ain't doing it right, hallelujah. It's as simple as that. If you think prayer is boring, you ain't doing it right. And yes, sometimes when you pray, as Saint Benedict said, prayer is work. That means sometimes I don't want to do prayer because it's too much like hard work. Well, yeah, it's work. Hallelujah. I get paid for it, so I've got to do it. Okay? <laughs> so it's work. I just got to get on with it. I just got to do it. But when I come out of that prayer room, man, I come out with like, woo, it's great. I've spent time with Jesus. I've pushed through. I've interceded. I've done things. But I've also spent time with Jesus as well. And I want to end with this as well, this, this whole rhythm of prayer. Now, in the church, for 2,000 years, the church has been praying at certain times of the day. It prays, uh, you've got early morning prayer, you've got 9 o'clock prayer, you've got 12 o'clock prayer, 3 o'clock prayer, then you've got evening prayer. Now, some Christians, especially charismatic ones, will go, oh, that's religious. That's religion. Religion's of the devil. Religious is dead. Religion's dead. Let's just do any of that religious stuff. Okay. Have you ever tried it? Yes. Okay. How did you find it? Yeah, it's really good. Okay. The ones that criticize it the most are the ones that have never done it. So how would you know? 
Okay, so I did an experiment. I thought, I'm going to try it for several years to see what difference it makes to my life and my walk with God. And doing those simple things, it just changed everything. Because I became less me-centric and everything else going on around me to suddenly at certain times of the day, I had to, whether I wanted to or not, I chose to focus on Jesus. And it kind of just reset everything inside of me. You know how in the days you can wake up in the morning, you're like, what's, yes, praise God, I'm a warrior for Jesus. And all your muscles are flexing, you know, you put the, put the body lotion on, you can see all those muscles and stuff. And then by the time lunchtime comes, you're like, oh, I just don't feel like it. And then by the time you get to the evening, you're like, oh, oh, how do I ever get through the day? Well, if you start praying through the hours of the day, you stay nice and firm and supple all day and freshly oiled at 9, 12, 3 and 6. Hallelujah. And so you may think, where did this stuff come from? Well, it came from the Jewish people because they've been doing it for a long time. But initially, uh, at nine o'clock in the morning, you had the morning sacrifice and the incense was offered. Then at 12, you had a lamb that was attached to the altar at 12. And then at three, it was sacrificed. And of course, prayers went up at those times. Jesus was handed over to be betrayed at nine. He was attached to the cross at 12 and sacrificed at three o'clock in the afternoon. And then the early church carried on with that concept from the Jewish faith is praying at those same times throughout the day. You can even see it in the book of Acts. It said at a certain time of the day, they all gathered together to pray. That's because they're following in that structure. And a little bit of structure really goes a long way. But here's the thing, right? When you are praying at these times, I'm praying, I'm using like books and liturgy that's prayed by the wider church. So even though I'm on my own, I am actually praying probably with about half a billion other Christians around the world, the same prayers. You don't get that in evangelical churches. We just pray our own prayers and and hope for the best. We don't get this thing where we're joining up with the wider body of Christ, whether you agree with them or not, because it's great, because you don't have to stand in the same room with them. But we are all praying together and we are in unison by our prayers. And those prayers, I tell you, they are powerful. Hallelujah. And it says in the Psalms, when when my people, uh, you know, when brothers dwell together in unity, there I command the blessing life forevermore. I want everlasting life. Hallelujah. I want the life of God and the blessing of God on our churches and in our communities. Man, I have not done a very good sermon today. I'm like all over the place and stuff. So I do I do apologize. But I guess my heart is is that we have got to be less critical of other movements of Christians. You know, and taking you back to where I started, where, you know, eight point about eight to eight point five million people were killed in the Reformation. You know, when I read the Reformation first time round, I read it through the, through the, through the glasses of the Protestant revi- uh, movement. And it was like, oh, we were the heroes. The Catholics were the evil ones. But then I started to read history books from their point of view. Oh, that's really not nice. Oh, I didn't realise how heartbroken and gut-wrenched they were over the whole thing. And then I saw a whole other look at history. It wasn't from my own biased position. And I then started looking at things from their view, looking out to us. And I saw a whole other world. And it gave me a softness and it gave me a heart. So much so that next Friday I've been invited to speak at a Catholic church. Okay, about things that we're doing with the prayer farm and and this monastic stuff. Because I have to concede that everything I've learned, I learned from them. Now, this is going to get me into a lot of trouble this kind of walk because there'll be lots of people both on both sides will be like no we don't want this we don't want we don't want to become friends with each other we've we've had 500 years of getting on with our own lives thank you we don't want this unity stuff thank you very much 
But actually, I really do believe in these days, you know, John 17, Jesus, I pray that my church will be one and God wants his church one. And I think one of the ways that we can start being one is through prayer is a really key thing. When we pray together, when we pray in unison together, like when we're using liturgy, praying the hours or praying together in the same in the same building. Do you know how much power there is when you get Christians from different denominations praying together and loving on each other? I think one of my hardest times that I had as an as a, as a, as a early sort of Christian, as a pastor, was I was invited to this meeting. It was a churches together in Fareham. And, uh, and it, I mean, I'd never been to anything like it. We had Anglicans, Catholics, Lutherans, then me. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all really different cultures all really, really different cultures, especially, I mean, Lutherans and Catholics, I mean, though those two, they do not get on. You know, Lutheran was the first guy to revolt against the Catholic Church. So you mentioned the word Luther to a Catholic, it's like, okay? And uh, they, they really don't like him at all. Um, and so you have these Lutherans and Catholics, and I was sat in the middle of this, and I, I remember coming out of that day, with a, it was supposed to be a retreat. I come out with a most banging headache at the end of the day, and that was so stressful, being with those people. But actually now God has given me such a love for the different parts of his body that now I can sit in a room with anyone from any aspect of Christendom and it really doesn't bother me because I've taken the time to see where they're coming from, not taken the time to read my own point of view and be prejudiced against them. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I pray for us, Lord God, as we move forward in these days, Lord, that we will become a united people, Lord Jesus, and that we become one people, Lord God, and that we become a people of prayer. In your precious name, I ask it, Lord, and I thank you for it. And I just want to end with this. I know I keep saying I'm going to end with this. But John 17, 3 says, eternal life is knowing God. And there's an invitation to all of us, not just to Christians, but to people that maybe aren't Christians, is that God has given us this invitation. So you can, if you want to, you can come and know me. You can come and know the living God. Years ago, Orange Telephone, they're long gone now, but they did this advert saying, if you could talk to someone, who would you most like to talk to? You know, and everyone came up with all these things. I was like, well, God, obviously, you know. But this is your opportunity. You can actually talk to God. And here's the, here's the freaky bit. Sometimes he talks back. Amen? Anyone heard God talk back? Yeah? And it's like, I'm not hearing things. I'm not going crazy. But God really does speak back. Very rarely you'll hear an audible voice. Sometimes it happens. But most of the time, it's like inner impressions, you know, and, those, and God can heal us, and God can set us free. And our God is a loving God, he's a kind God, he's a powerful God, and much to, this, much to people's opinions, God is not dead. God is very much alive. He's doing stuff, he's doing wonderful things. I said the other week about that wonderful miracle we had of that lady with a paralyzed hand, how God just instantly healed her. God does miracles. The power of prayer is real. So I want to encourage you all. I want to stir you up in your most holy faith to keep on pushing into the things of God and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you can come along to the prayer school, you will love it and you will benefit from it. And you can take those things and bring it into your own life and walk with that for yourself and with you and Jesus. May it help you. God bless you all. Amen. Amen.